You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Welcome to another Drive Time show, and Asalaamu Alaikum, Sharjeel, how are you? First Alhamdulillah, time. Alhamdulillah, by the grace of, uh, of God Almighty, uh, I'm as, well. I'm as well today, just for the listeners, I want to make sure we have three uh, presenters <laughs> here, so wanna, before we get into the topics, I want to yeah. introduce my uh, co-hosts. Today. So we have Sajil with us today and Zakaria. Assalamu alaikum Zakaria, how are you? Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. How are you? Alhamdulillah. It's good to be back. I was off for one week. Yeah. I had a, a small holiday. And to our listeners, the topics we are, um, which, we, which we will be presenting today, the first topic will be British Muslims more likely to be facing poverty. And the second topic, um, we'll be talking in the second hour is protest do they achieve anything and the question we are asking today on Instagram is so you support the recent climate protest you can answer yes or no or not sure hmm. and also you can join us um, through the um, what's called contacting us by via the v- um, our website hmm. www voiceofislam.co.uk and you can call us also on 0208 and you can also tweet us at voiceofislamuk so Shajil I wanted to ask do Muslims uh, British Muslims face poverty in this day and age the first question I have for you <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting question because when we when we talk about Muslims already we, we already know that that's a that's a minority yes right we, we know that that's a minority we know that uh, minorities wherever they are whatever country that they're living in doesn't matter if they're living in 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 a developed country or a developing country they're always mm-hmm. facing difficulties and uh, sometimes, sometimes those uh, minorities, or you know, so sometimes those countries, give uh, you know they give their due rights yes. to the minorities, and uh, you know they let them express their their way of living, their their religion. If we specifically talk about Muslims, then they allow them to practice their religion. They allow them to practice their customs as well to a certain degree. But sometimes you see in in different parts of the world. Um, sometimes the more developing countries, minorities don't get their due rights as well. Yes, and that's why that's why you know it's important to actually talk about talk about this as well, especially when we say you know when the title is British Muslims. So already Britain, we you know Britain is a, is a uh, you know a, a very a very a very prominent um, sort of you know not just a, not just a country but an empire. Yes. obviously you can say as well, and uh, being a British Muslim. Or a Muslim living in Britain, however you want to describe it, it's uh, you know it's, some may say that it's you know we we we're open where we can practice our religion very freely That's and correct. very open as well. But uh, sometimes if we look over to our to our neighbours as well, sometimes it could be the opposite as well. Um, you know, I'm not going to name any names. Our listeners can understand that as well. Um, you know, which countries um, that you know that we're alluding to as well, but. One of the actions which is most emphasized in Islam is uh, is feeding other people. Yes, and uh, we, we can see this clearly by you know, of course, not just not just the not just the um, not just the the injunctions, the teachings which are mentioned in the Holy Quran by God Almighty, by Allah the Almighty, but practiced by the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah so, be upon so. him, and he has encouraged all of us to provide. 
um, you know, to provide for the needy, to provide for the uh, to provide for the poor. Even when it comes to the month of Ramadan, you know, when Muslims have to fast from uh, from sunrise to to sunset. Yes, Muslims are told to you know when they break their fast, they're told to provide iftar. That's that that's the meal when you break the fast to Muslims uh, as well as also giving to the other people, giving to the needy, and also giving the zakat, the feeding the poor. Even when we have the you know the the festive, uh, the you know the, the festival day, which is the mm-hmm. Eid al-Fitr, Eid al-Azha, we're always you know told to share our food, to give to the poor, and donate to charity as well. That's so sh- So sharing food is a is is a is a way is a way of taking care of the vulnerable and bringing the community back together as well. That's great. That's really well said, uh, Sajid. It's important. <laughs> yes, you know, but, but on the other hand, also yeah. what, uh, what we have is, you know, Islam encourages uh, Muslims to be self-sufficient also. Mm. You know, it's in a, in a narration where the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said that a hand who's, uh, which is above is better than the hand which is uh, below. Exactly, yeah. So we should also be um, self-sufficient at the same time and try, you know, providing for ourselves and also. But, you know, um, earlier this year, the charity Islamic Relief has warned that the cost of living crisis has hit the Muslim community households in the UK are living in poverty. You know, the director of Islamic Relief UK, Tofil Hussain, had also stated that families across the UK will suffer as a result of record rates of inflation. Hmm and as well as an increasing energy prices due to the war in Ukraine. You know, with the um, energy crisis, we have spoken about it many times, and, you know, recently I've been paying attention at home also yeah. how the energy um, how the energy prices are going up and down. Um, not down, just up. Because our one is, you know, we have to uh, pay it beforehand, so it's like a top-up base. So mm. I can see when my father puts in, you know, twenty pound or thirty pound, mm. and it's normally used to last roughly five, six, seven days, mm. twenty pound. But now it's like three, two, three days later, it's topping up it again. Mm. I was like, wow, that, you know, that's like inflation there already in Germany, especially. That's I think about a two hundred percent increase there mm. on gas prices, and you know, um, because my brother-in-law works you know, uh, as a restaurant, has a restaurant. Hmm. And and he says the gas prices have gone so up, we, we like we can't put our prices down anymore. Yeah. So for example, if they were selling for three pound or three euros at, uh, over there, then now they have to sell it for seven or eight pound yeah. or euros over there. Yeah. So it has been you know the energy crisis has hit everyone, not just Muslims but uh, everyone on what's called on the whole in the UK hmm. especially. Yeah. So and you know there was a re- research done by the Muslim um, Council of Britain that a ch- um, charity has said that an estimate of 50% Muslim households in the UK are living in poverty now. So about 50%. And you know, when this, uh, when I, when this came in front of me, I started researching how many Muslims are there in actual in the UK. So you know what I found out through census, there are about six, uh, 3.9 million Muslims in the, who are living in the UK. And from mm-hmm. that, there so are nearly 50, 4 million. Nearly, nearly 4 million. So you yeah. can say roughly 2 million are living on the poverty line or below that. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a huge chunk. But, you know, overall, there are many um, other religions who are also facing that same um, poverty lines. But mm-hmm. obviously we are we're talking about British Muslims here today. Yeah. So there's about 2 million, so 50% of the Muslims who are, are roughly at the poverty line or below it. Mm-hmm. And that was quite um, shocking for me. I was like, wow, this is also there. So, uh, so Zakaria, what do you think, you know, about the poverty line for Muslims? 
Yeah, um, the 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 poverty. Yeah, we'll be discussing about this. But um, I think Arif Ahmed is on hold. Um, who is a charity volunteer who has worked uh, with food banks for over ten years. Um, with this small intro, um, I would like to welcome Arif um, uh, to our show. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to the Drive Time Show. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you for having me on. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Thank you for. Um, and connecting with us. Um, Humanity First has currently two food banks in the UK and the uh, Mirrorfield Food Bank um, was the first one to open. So when was the food bank opened and how difficult has it been to run it? And if you could, you know, give a um, introduction to Humanity First as well, um, what it stands for and uh, where, you know, who actually opened this Yes, so Humanity First is a worldwide uh, charity, um, not based on any uh, religion. We work with all partners. And this was actually founded and started by the uh, fourth Caliph of Islam, His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed. And he envisaged um, a a situation where, irrespective of race or background, uh, we would be helping people around the world. Now, obviously, at that time, the UK was seen as a, a rich country, if I can use that term. But things obviously changed over the years, and especially during COVID. There was a lot of people who were struggling. Even before COVID, food bank usage has been increasing. And Humanity First had been thinking about opening up one for a number of years. But obviously, because of COVID, uh, we basically had to open up one. Mm-hmm. Um, it was quite difficult during lockdown. Obviously, the normal resources, the normal channels not there. We had to find premises. We had to find volunteers. Volunteers was probably a little bit easier because many people were at home, obviously not at work. They were on furlough. So we found a suitable site in Murfield. Um, we used the contacts that we already had. Uh, as in your, your introduction, you mentioned that I'd been working at a food bank for over 10 years. And so lots of people that we knew from various supermarkets and businesses, they helped. Uh, And the very good thing is is that for the last two and a half years, so we started this in June 2020, we've been running continuously, Mm -hmm. helping many, many hundreds, if not thousands of people throughout our local area. And when people see what we're doing, uh, it encourages other volunteers to come forward, it encourages other people, businesses, supermarkets to donate. And we have a constant supply of food coming in and obviously food going out. So as with any organization, we have our ups and downs. But we're very, very thankful to the volunteers who come in day in, day out. They do deliveries, they take referrals, um, and they help those who are in need. And we're now very well established. As you mentioned, there's another food bank that Humanity First runs in Walsall. Mm -hmm. And uh, I suspect that we will be around for a long time to come and there will be other food banks that will be opening throughout the UK. Okay, wonderful. And and from your experience, what are the main factors that uh, force people or families to use food banks? Um, do these factors like having larger families or a lack of education play a role as well? It's, it's very difficult to say that there's one or a few factors. Uh, there's so many different factors that can cause people to use food banks and first of all we're not here in any way to judge so you know when people come they come as a referral or they come through their doctor or through another charity we are less interested in why they're coming to us and more interested in how we can help them 
But the intelligence that we pick up suggests that there are a whole range of factors why people might be coming to a food bank. One just might be they're just not earning enough money, whether they're working part-time or they're on zero-hours contracts or they're not getting enough benefits. Obviously, if you don't have enough income or you have too much expenses, then you're not going to have enough food to feed your family. So lack of income, obviously, if you've got a bigger family and you've got more expenses, it can be more difficult. Hmm. But it can be a whole range of things. It can be people who are just not very good in managing their money. It can be people who are maybe... Um, spending their money on other things like drinks, like drugs, and so they have less money left over. Mm. It can even be people who are between jobs. So if somebody's on benefits and uh, they, they get a new job, they might not get paid for five weeks. And in that five-week period, they have expenses. They might need to buy a new suit for work, for example, and they don't have as much, any money coming in, and the benefits have stopped, and they might only use a food bank for a few weeks before they start a new job. So it's a whole range of factors loosely under the term poverty mm -hmm. but as you appreciate poverty has many different causes and many different factors and it's changing all the time um, so there is not one typical food bank user people think it might be a single mother with three or four children and she can't cope yes we have those but we have people from all walks of life and all different backgrounds who are using our food bank mm -hmm. thank you Zakla Arif um, for the, all this uh, in Moscow um, insight, but I wanted to ask, you know, uh, regarding all this um, increase of um, cost of living, has that also impacted the food banks? Yes, it is impacting the food banks. I mean, as I said, uh, food bank usage, even before the cost of living crisis, was already very high. 20 years ago, most people would never have even heard of a food bank. Mm -hmm. 10 years ago, people may have heard of them, but not really sure what they did. But in the last five or six years, uh, in every town, there is a food bank or more than one food bank. Okay. And so food bank usage was already very high and the cost of living crisis is making it worse and it's making it higher and it's making it more prolonged. There will be people that will not be able to get by without using their local food bank and that won't just be for one week in the year. That might mean that they need to go to the food bank every single week. Mm -hmm. So without doubt, if um, things are costing more, and your income is the same uh, or only going up a little bit or less than the rate of inflation, you're going to struggle. And there is more awareness about food banks, which is a good thing. Yes. Because there is help there. Uh, people just need to locate their local food bank and pluck up the courage. And I use the word courage because it's very difficult to approach Indeed. personally your food bank. But we are there to help and we are happy to help. So, you know, Arif, you mentioned the word courage, that uh, the person needs to build up courage to visit um, his local food banks. You know, what um, is it difficult for some reason, reason for a person to take that decision to approach food banks because he might think, um, I'm not eligible or I'm not, what was called, um, thinking that, okay, I'd, I'd rather survive on what I have instead of asking for help? I think it's the shame factor and the embarrassing factor. Yes. I don't think it's so much about people thinking they don't qualify. They feel very, very embarrassed. Our food bank doesn't have a big sign outside that says food bank because someone might, one of their friends might see them going into the food bank and yes. automatically they're going to be ashamed or oh, we saw you going into a food bank, what's wrong? So we find that a lot of people basically who are desperate, mm -hmm. they've tried all of the channels and they realize that there's nothing else they can do, especially if they have children. They don't 
No parent wants their child to go hungry. Indeed. They feel immense pain if they see their child missing a meal or their child is hungry or their child is crying. And as I said, um, it's, it's very difficult. We find it, the people coming feel very ashamed. As I said, we're not there to judge them. Mm-hmm. And I do feel that they have to use courage to make the decision to come to a food bank because it is very embarrassing. It is very humiliating. And, you know, mm-hmm. many of the people that come in don't even want to show their face. They just come in, they just say a few things, we help them with their food, and that's fine. As I said, we're not there to judge. But this is just a society problem that mm-hmm. if you see someone who's going to food bank, you instantly judge them. Yes. And I think mm-hmm. it's probably time that we stop judging people and realize that in some ways this is almost becoming the norm that for many sections of society, the only way that they can get by is is by using food banks. So, exactly. Arif, you know, uh, this question just popped up in my mind. You know, if, if a person feels uh, not encouraged to come to the uh, food banks, is there another method he can get the supplies at his, um, for example, home deliveries? Do does food banks offer those? Yeah, various food banks do. We do offer we do offer home supplies. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, as I said, we have volunteers. Yes, and um, we have to use their time wisely. Of it's course. much easier for us to give out food parcels if people are able to come. Mm-hmm. But those who don't have transport, those who are housebound through illness, or those who are embarrassed, we will look sympathetically upon them. Mm-hmm. And we do have a couple of days a week where we are basically just doing deliveries. And we try and plan it so that obviously we're doing it in an efficient way. Okay. But it's a two-way thing. Um, we can help people, but people also need to help themselves a little bit um, and try and come to the food bank because it's easier to get help if you can go to the food bank rather than saying, please bring me the food on. But there are situations, and we have been doing deliveries every week mm-hmm. for the last two years to those individuals who can't get to the food bank. Exactly, Arif. Um, you know, Arif, just for our listeners, um, if you can um, let them know how they can get um, get in contact um, with food banks or the, or the local food banks as volunteers or if they need help for um, regarding food if anybody just types in, find a food bank near me or a food bank near me, and I would encourage anybody just to go visit that food bank because it will be an eye-opener. Um, the Humanity First website has lots and lots of information, dedicated section about food banks. Uh, even if you don't live near a food bank, you can do shopping and get it delivered direct to the food bank. Um, that's one way that you can help. You can donate money, you can go down, you can visit, and you can see... Um, how you can help, even if you want to do a couple of hours a week. You know, this is the only way that we're really going to be able to help each other by the ones who are more fortunate helping and donating their time and resources and money to the less fortunate. But I'm pretty sure that nearly every single town in the country will have a food bank. Mm-hmm. And as I said, if you type in food bank near me, give them a call. They will be very happy to uh, to hear you, to help, uh, to, you know, to ask you to come down and give a hand. Mm-hmm. And likewise, the Humanity Food Food Bank, we rely completely on volunteers. We don't have any paid staff. We don't get grants from the government. Mm-hmm. We only get money and donations and food from the general public. And without them, uh, we wouldn't be able to do any of the work that we're able to do. Exactly. There's really um, wise words you've said, Arif, with, um, and hopefully our listeners will take away something from this and be able uh, to get help or help someone out. Thank you. Zakla. Salam alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.
So this was Arif, um, who works, um, who's a volunteer for Humanity First Food mm. Banks. And, you know, it's, it's some eye-opening things, oh, sorry, um, eye-opening things which he said um, and and how we can get um, encouraged to help out or even get help if someone needs it. Mm. And, you know, I, I did a couple of years back, I, I was volunteer for Food Bank, mm. but obviously due to some time constraining I'm unable to go but I, I try my best you know send something to them instead uh, yeah. if, if, if I'm not able to go down there uh, at least, at least some, something, something is can. going there from on, on my behalf or my parents behalf <coughs> if something at least is going there because we don't know what's going to happen in the future right so uh, it's it's always better to look out for those who are suffering right now and then if they're in a better place and uh, they will be able to help out other people who are um, and in a very same place they used to be before, so it's like a cycle. You know, yes, it was interesting as well as you mentioned. It was uh, it was an eye opener as well. He even mentioned I would have mentioned that <coughs> twenty years ago, you know, not that many people would even know about what yes. a food bank was. Maybe there weren't even food banks available. Mm-hmm. But you know, a decade ago, ten years ago, even then, people were sometimes you know maybe a bit unsure about what a food bank is mm. or what sort of things they do. Um, what what is exactly it, it is, but now it's so it's, it's such a common thing, and I think in a in a way it's a good thing because it's helping people. Yes, it's helping people, uh, and volunteers are coming to help people. Yes, it's not like it's not like they've got a paid staff. It's not like they're getting any grants from uh, from the from the government, just like Arif said as well. It's all the contributions which they get from the public, and that those contributions are put in the food bank, and the people come and take those. Um, you know, whatever they need as well. Yes. So I think uh, in one way it's good. And I say that in one way because it is it is quite sad to see that we are having to rely on food banks mm-hmm. mm. and because people are not able to actually earn enough of a living so that they can put food on the table. I mean, that in that, in that section, it is quite sad to see that, you know, we're living in a time where it's difficult for people to actually have basic necessities. Yes. Having food on the table is difficult because of the energy crisis and all of these things as well. But it's a good thing that people are actually ready to help other people as well. And that's, and that's I think, that's a positive yeah. thing. That's encouraging as well. Yeah, I mean, um, the, you know, for, from, for example, what I can learn and what I've learned from yeah. the uh, Ahmadiyya Muslim community, right? So from, the, for example, the Youth Society or mm. every branch mm. of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, we try to provide food mm-hmm. in a regular base to the uh, food banks. Yes. Right? And this is something that we've been learning you know, we learned this from a very young age and all the members are encouraged to do that as well. Um, it's it's something that I have learned and I would like to tell the listeners as well, right? That, you know, it, when you think that w- instead of wasting any food or when you think that you've bought something extra, right? And you won't, you won't need it and you, you think that you're not going to need it. So the best is contact the nearest food bank and mm-hmm. give it to their and this way you'll see that, you know, they have enough stock and anyone who's wanting to, you know, get something, they will they will always have something, right? So this is a ongoing humanitarian work. So I learned it from mm. my community yeah. and I would say that whoever can donate, they should reach out and donate to the food banks because, you know, it's easier for you to give it to the food bank and they'll know that there's always needy there's people always who will come in. Yeah, there's always people going to come 
um, you know, who will be needing some sort of, you know, help and, and food. Yeah. You know, there's a, it's, it's good that, you know, we're talking about this as well because yeah. there's, other, there's other apps, you know, which, are, which help and support a similar thing as well. So I remember, even on The Voice of Islam, I remember talking to someone who, the, they, they were a CEO of this app called Olio. Okay. And this uh, this app is basically um, they you know if you download it you can put whatever food items that you don't need or you don't want mm-hmm. basically for free and yeah. then someone in your local local place will come and they will just come and collect it. So for example, the example that they gave was say if you have a bunch of uh, you know a bunch of bananas right mm-hmm. and you know that they're going a little bit brown and maybe you don't want them and you know that you're not going to eat them. Mm-hmm. Right, you can just put that on the app. Take a picture, put it on the app. Hmm. Someone from around your community, they will say, "Oh, I like these." Someone's gonna come around and just get them. And wow. that, in that way, that food that you potentially were gonna throw in the bin yeah. or you weren't gonna have, that has you know someone has got that, and someone's gonna actually take that Benefit as well. From it, yeah. And it's not just it's it's literally anything. Hmm. Um, you know, other food things as well, the food items, you know, whatever fruits, vegetables, even cooked food as well, maybe, and also. There's other there's other apps called uh, Too Good to Too Good to Go and these mm-hmm. sort of things as well, mm. such as you know for example if say Cafe Nero or any other sort of uh, coffee shop or whatever they have something they that they that they had they made in the morning mm. like a bundle a, a a sandwich maybe some you know a a a a, a chocolate croissant or whatever a chocolate biscuit or some a piece of cake or whatever. They made sort of a bundle in the morning, mm-hmm. and normally they will sell that for four, five pounds, six pounds. But then at the end of the day, if that's not going to get sold, then they will sell the same thing for very cheap, seventy-five p, one pound. Okay. And yeah. so you know, people they can, they can get sort of not fresh, fresh stuff, but you know, things which were made on that day. Yeah. For very cheap at the end of the day as well. I mean, it's still fresh though. I, I mean, mean, it's still fresh. Yeah, it's still, still fresh. fresh. It's still fresh. The same day. Yeah. It's made on the same day mm-hmm. and instead of them having to throw it in the bin because no one has bought it they can they can sell it for very cheap and mm. then people they can come and buy it as well yeah exactly but it's it's important what he mentioned as well that there, there needs to be courage as well mm. i know it's yes. a difficult it's really difficult. it's difficult and it's quite ashamed as well and it's quite embarrassing to you know to go into a food bank to go in and say oh can i have this for this cheap mm. or whatever i i know it's difficult mm. but sometimes you know we we're, we're living in a world where uh, in a time where it's you know it is difficult and it's difficult for people who maybe they didn't even think that it would be difficult for them five six years ago, they wouldn't even think about oh you know we have to think about getting the cheaper option we have to think about uh, having a meal t- uh, today or putting the heating on today or it, it is a difficult time that we are that we are living in so you know as you mentioned that the our community also uh, endorses this also tells this. And uh, teaches this, practices this as well, because this is the teachings of of Islam, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He also mentioned that if you make a broth, if you make you know any any food, yeah, then put add a little bit more water in it. Oh, yeah. So you can that will increase, and then you can share it with your neighbors mm-hmm. as well. So all these acts of charity are are there for us to actually give back to society. Exactly, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I remember um, <coughs> from. Uh, last week's Friday sermon, um, where Huzur mentioned that when, for example, the Muslims were in need, right? Yeah. That and of course, uh, the Islam was not, you know, just just for Muslims. But the Holy Prophet said, you know, if you, for example, have you live two people at home, hmm. you should make an extra for, extra the, third for the third person. person yeah. And then similarly, exactly, if someone yeah. lives. Um, 
the three at home or four at home, they should make for an extra for person. An extra so person well, anyone yeah. who needs extra food, you know, you can provide it to them. Mm. And uh, you know, the first caliph of the Ahmadi uh, of of Islam, of Islam of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings be upon Hazrat Abu Bakr, may Allah be his helper. So he, uh, you know, he was one of the perfect examples of. Um, you know, helping the poor and the needy, mm-hmm. and he actually invite he did you know, he actually invited uh, two or three people. I think it was three two people at home to to feed them as well. Yeah. And you know, when it came to charity or giving charity to the poor, etc., etc., and he would literally give everything whatever he had. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> he had companions like Hazrat Omar, yeah. uh, the second caliph. You know, he wanted to compete with him, but later on he knew that <laughs> he realized that he, realized he, he that can't he, compete with he him. Ca- com- he can't compete with him. So, yeah. I mean, uh, there's so much to learn from the companions of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. That um, you know, the way they have sacrificed for for the you society. Know, you know, there was uh, the, uh, another incident. You know, you're talking about the companions. That just yeah. reminded me of another another incident which His Holiness mentioned. May Allah be his helper. <laughs> He said that there there was in a time in, in those days, there was a there was an old man who was blind mm-hmm. and he was living in a cave, and uh, literally no one knew no one knew about him, and uh, it was the practice of the first caliph of Islam, Hazrat Abu Bakr, may Allah be pleased with him. He used to go to him, he used to feed him, mm-hmm. he used to provide for him, right? Or on not just you know regularly, but daily. Yeah. So it was part of his daily routine to go out. Go out of his way, go to that cave, meet that old man who was blind, a blind old man, mm. and feed feed him all of these things as well, take care of him. So, one day, what happened was was that um, you know th- there were some days in which uh, he didn't go, and uh, a f- couple of days later, the second caliph, yeah. Hazrat Umar, may Allah be pleased with him, the second caliph of Islam, he went to visit that that cave, and uh, he went to that cave. He met the old man. And he, you know, he 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 fed him as well. He gave him some some food to eat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when he, when that blind man, when he ate that food, he realized. He said, "Oh, is Abu Bakr? Is he? Has he passed away? Is he yeah. dead?" Yeah, he started crying. He started crying, crying, and he, he didn't, realized. He couldn't, it, yeah. he, but the thing is, the the reason, I mean, the 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 way he realized yeah. was that he asked uh, Hazrat Hazrat Umar yeah. that you know is Hazrat Abu Bakr dead? Yeah. And uh, the reason why he said this was that. You know, Hazrat Abu Bakr used to come to me every single day. Yeah. And when the, the, the these days in the middle, when no one came, I yeah. realized that he must have, there, there is no Abu Bakr in the world right yeah. now. So he's passed away. And also, when he used to feed me, he because I don't have teeth, he used mm-hmm. to like uh, break it down for me. Yeah. And then he used to get, put it in my mouth, so that's yeah. easy for me to swallow. Okay. Yeah. So then he realized that you know there's no there's no <laughs> comparison with uh, Hazrat Abu Bakr. Yeah. May Allah may Allah be pleased with him. The way that he used to go out there. And treat you know all the people, and he was a caliph as well. Yeah, you have to remember he he was a caliph. He was during so his caliphate. During his caliphate, yeah, he used to go he used and, to practice and this person, yeah. uh, the, the thing as well. This was one of his things. This was one of the things. This was one of the things. There were daily other things that he used to do apart from being a caliph as well. Yeah, literally. And that's that's the difference between um, a, a a spiritual leader, a leader of of God Almighty, a spiritual caliph, mm. and any worldly leader. And any worldly you can leader. say. You know, you know, any leader would say that I'm extremely busy to go and visit <laughs> the needy, yeah. right? Um, uh, but but you know, look at these examples of the uh, uh, the, the the caliphs of uh, Islam. How exactly. 
example they were, how caring they were uh, when it came to you know poor people and the people in need. Exactly, exactly. So on we have our second guest on hold right now, Rabib Mirza, who is a missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, who was a missionary in Ireland for five and a half years and now is in the um, in England and he's been serving here for one and a half year and is currently serving in MTA International. With a short introduction, I would like to welcome to um, our drive time show. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Um, sir, how are you? Alhamdulillah, very good. And uh, Jazakallah once again for having me. Jazakallah. So, Rabib, um, if you can tell us what measures that uh, does Islam provide to alleviate pro- poverty from society? Well, first and foremost, um, the system that Islam has placed for alleviating poverty within society mm-hmm. is through the system of financial sacrifice and particularly the system of zakat. Now, as we know that we are living in an interest-based society, um, and what that basically means is that the rich are getting richer okay. and the poor are getting poorer. Mm-hmm. But Islam has proposed the system of zakat as a means to cater for the poor and fulfill their needs. So what happens in zakat is that 2.5% of one's uh, annual savings, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's there's a 2.5% charge, if you were to put it in, in the, the, the common phrase. Um, and then that specific money um, or whatever savings or earnings that uh, have been saved for um, that period of time, in, in other words, one year, mm-hmm. that is specifically used for the poor. Okay. Um, and that's one way that Islam has ensured that money does not remain stagnant or wealth does not remain stagnant. In other words, wealth is always in motion. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason why Islam has proposed this system of the God, this system of financial sacrifice, so that the Muslims they have this realization um, in in hindsight and always before them that there are people that are less fortunate than you, that are impoverished, that are destitute, mm-hmm. and you, they have a right upon you. In other words, they have a right upon you in the sense that you must care for them, you must provide for them. So this is one uh, you know, very beautiful um, way that Islam has uh, ensured um, that the the poor are catered for, mm-hmm. and this is also a way that uh, you know Islam has given that measure to actually alleviate poverty within society. Exactly. You know, Rabib, um, we see um, the word "tawakkul Allah mentioned in the Holy Quran many times. And first of all, if you can tell our listeners what does it mean and how does this implement in our lives during and um, especially challenging times. So basically the terminology or the term of the Allah, which has been used countless times within the Holy Quran, yes. it basically, to simply put it, means to trust in God Almighty. Mm-hmm. Now, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah so, be upon so. him, 
he has uh, elaborated upon this because the definition of tawakkul ala allah sometimes it becomes um a little bit uh, i should say in one sense uh, that people begin to designate their own meanings to tawakkul ala allah mm-hmm. however we have to understand tawakkul allah in light of the meanings that the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him told us and what is that once when the holy prophet uh, a a person came and uh, he came he was mounted upon a camel and then you know he did not uh, tie the camel down so when the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him instructed him and said that look tie your camel as well Mm-hmm. He said that I will trust in God that you know whatever business I've come for I will do that and then when I come back you know I will find my camel. Now the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him yes. said that this is not trust in God Almighty. This is not tawakkul Allah. Tawakkul Allah is this that you tie your camel down and you trust in God Almighty that when you come back um your camel will be there. I mean just to give a, li- a little bit of a relatively modern um example or one way that we can understand this you know during <clears throat> when the evening comes or during the night you know we lock our doors we mm-hmm. don't say that okay we're going to trust in god almighty we're going to leave our, our door open and we're going to trust in god almighty that you know no one's going to enter our house or um you know nobody's going to intrude in our house so this is not tawakkul allah tawakkul allah is this that obviously you you lock your doors you lock your windows and then obviously you trust in god almighty mm-hmm. that inshallah he will uh, you know god willingly he will keep you safe so the way that we can implement tawakkul allah in our lives is through this example um, or this exhortation of the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him and especially during trying times where obviously sometimes one's faith is you know begins to falter yes um when they do not see that specific thing that objective that they want or that that desire that they they wish for mm-hmm. when they do not see that they are achieving that their faith begins to falter but they should remember that the promised messiah peace be upon him uh, this is another way this is another aspect of tawakkul allah and he would mention that of course with prayer there has to be planning as well mm-hmm. so obviously do your planning and he mentioned on on another separate occasion that prayer is also one play, one way of planning as well mm-hmm. but do your planning and at the same time pray to god almighty for the results so that's the way that we can um, trust in god almighty in in, in trying times exactly you know, you've mentioned some key um, points there you know, for for tawakkul allah for example locking the door um or tying the camel down and then or having some plans um, before uh, hand ready and then pray also for uh, towards allah the almighty but you know um the founder of the ahmadiyya muslim community has a mirza ghulam ahmed may allah be pleased with him you know at, at one point he also faced some hardships with financial and in response um allah the almighty um sent down a revelation if you can tell our ris- listeners what that revelation was and um the background of that revelation of course so when the founder of the ahmadiyya muslim community his holiness azam is ghulam ahmed when his father passed away 
um, and this was around such great wisdom words to our listeners but you know, I think uh, I wanted to ask you know our topic today is also as you know British Muslims are they more likely to be facing poverty and during our discussion uh, we have mentioned about 50% are living around the poverty line and one, uh, one in five British Muslims um, have to use the food banks and one of the main allegations which is raised or brought up by the critics is um, for example uh, that a British Muslim household can um, not, uh, they only survive on one single income and they won't let um, their women 
work. So what would you say regarding this allegation how and, and how would you tackle this question? First and foremost, <clears throat> it's a very nonsensical allegation. Islam does not bar women from working. Mm-hmm. If a woman desires to work, she can do so. However, this fundamental thing needs to be remembered that in Islam, the breadwinner is the man. So it's mm-hmm. the man's duty and the man's responsibility to provide and cater for the needs of his families, mm-hmm. for his family members. Now, if a woman works, <clears throat> it's not you know, incumbent upon her mm-hmm. to give her wealth to the husband. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it's the husband that has to earn the money and obviously provide uh, that wealth or provide for the needs of, of the family members. If a woman earns money, you know, again, there's no right that the husband has upon that money. If she, obviously out of, out of love and affection, if she shares that money with her husband, mm-hmm. well and good, but it's not incumbent upon her. Secondly, one thing that needs to be <coughs> remembered here is that within Islam, the model household is that uh, the father and the mother, they both have to bring up the children. Okay. But Obviously, when the father is working, then the duty is of the mother then to take care of the children. Mm-hmm. Now, especially within, at least, uh, you know, within um, our, uh, generally, generally I'm saying, that within our Asian culture, we have uh, a lot more functions and, and, and meet and greet and, and programs. Mm-hmm. Now, let's say that both the mother and father were working and the children come back for school, there's no f- proper food that's provided for them, the mother and father are not there to, let's say, talk to them, ask them how their day at school has been, if they're facing any problems. Mm-hmm. So what do they generally do? These children then, they go outside, and sometimes they mix in with the wrong crowd. Okay. So, you know, this, is, this has to be looked upon as well, that <clears throat> if someone... Uh, out of necessity is using the food bank mm-hmm. you know the the religion of that person that should not be looked upon at the end of the day it does not matter whether you're a muslim or a christian or a jew or a hindu mm-hmm. if a person is facing poverty you know the fact of the matter is that he should be helped and supported and assisted in whatever <clears throat> means one can these allegations that okay because the wife is not working, therefore the Muslims have to go to the food bank. It's totally nonsensical and it's a very foolish allegation. And mm-hmm. it's an allegation that actually divides our society. And this actually further shows that the, the people that raise these allegations, they have no sympathy and empathy in their heart. So you have to basically, as a human being, irrespective of whatever religion a person holds, mm-hmm. you have to help that person. So these allegations that are brought up, these are nonsensical. And of course, you know, it's we don't know the circumstances of every single household. Correct. Somebody could have uh, a newborn baby. So if the you know the husband is is going out to work and the wife is going out to work, who's going to provide? Uh, who's going to care for the child? People might say, okay, they can get childcare. That's another you know burden uh, in terms of uh, finance finances. Mm-hmm. So. There's different circumstances. Everybody has their own circumstances. Everybody has their own um, problems.
problems that they're dealing with. So I think the, these sorts of allegations that are raised by critics are completely foolish and they should abstain from raising such allegations. Exactly, Rabib. You know, I hope our listeners today have learned something. Even I have learned quite a lot today from you and our first guest, Arif. Zakla Rabib, for joining us today. Zakla, thank you so much for having me. Zakla, assalamualaikum. So, Shajil, as you know, Rabib just mentioned, we shouldn't mix religion with someone who needs help. Even same as Arif said before, that we don't look upon who is coming or if it's if they need it because of because of this and this, for example, they might have a large mm. family. They mm. don't look upon these questions. They, they, if they're there for help, they will be helping them and providing that help mm. they need. And same as Rabib just mentioned here, they um, if we shouldn't mix um, religion with someone who needs help because that's two separate things. Exactly, exactly. I think yes. it's, uh, that that is that that is the the way the way forward, and that is the way that it should Correct. be looked at as well. That. We shouldn't we, we we shouldn't just judge people by looking at their financial status or look at the reason why they're here. Um, of course, you know the the information will come anyway, mm-hmm. but it's something that it's something that it should not be it should not be something which which is a priority, or it shouldn't be it shouldn't even be on the agenda in my in my opinion as well to actually find out what religion they're from or what is the reason that they're here. If they're here, just go out and and serve them as well. Yes, you know the current head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat mm-hmm. Mirza Masood Ahmadi, is the fifth caliph of the Promised Messiah, upon whom be peace. He has said about helping those people who are in need that in the Holy Quran, mm-hmm. Allah the Almighty has repeatedly instructed true believers to fulfill the rights of mankind, and to help all those in need who face difficulties of any kind. The Quran has particularly emphasized the need to help the most vulnerable members of society, such as those who are uh, who are mired in poverty. Mm-hmm. You know, so those people who are living in poverty, those people who are living in destitute conditions, it is our duty to to actually help them as well. And you know, there's a saying of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, where he says that Allah does not look at your faces and your wealth, but he looks at your hearts and your deeds. Mm-hmm. So this is what Islam says. Islam says that, you know, everyone is born equal, no matter where they hail from, whatever the color, color they have, or what you know, what religion that they're from. It's, it is your righteousness. It is your deeds um, that you do as well. It is mm-hmm. your belief, your deeds, all of these things as well. Mm-hmm. So if we, if we're, if we're sort of, you know, if we're saying that we are Muslims, we need to act upon these teachings as well. We need to try our best to look out for those people who are in need. You know, the Holy Quran mentions. That we should be giving to those people who, who are who who question, who ask mm-hmm. uh, for the help, who ask for your you know for your for your for the funds or for uh, all of these things, and those people who don't ask as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know there may be some people who are ashamed or who are embarrassed to ask. Mm-hmm. So it's our duty to actually look out for those people as well, look at their condition, yes. and assess ourselves that you know maybe we should just give it, give to them even if they don't ask for it as well. Yes, mm. you know one question I have for Zakaria, you know what is the concept of begging in Islam? Um, it's a very good question, and I yes. think mm. you answer this question with a hadith as well, a saying of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings on him. On him, you said. Uh, that the upper hand, the Holy Prophet said that the upper hand is better than the lower hand. Yes. Um, you know, what I understand and, and, and from this hadith is um, it's always better to give than ask. And only that person can give who 
you know, pr- mm-hmm. uh, works for himself and uh, can provide for the family as well. And, uh, you know, in a bit I'll be explaining as well what it means with, with this. You know, it's, it's uh, discourage to ask. That means discourage to beg. Why? Because, you know, it's discouraging you f- if you think of begging then you're not putting any effort yeah. mm-hmm. you you don't you don't put the effort to work for yourself or work exactly. harder so if you yeah. are able to work mm-hmm. then you should work but if there's anyone who asks for any any help mm-hmm. or then you should be the one who's uh, helping, the upper hand the uh, helping, helping hand basically yeah exactly and exactly. the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi and has on, on on one hand directed the wealthy not to turn down anyone's request for help mm. That the, the the wealthy, they should always provide the people who are in need, mm-hmm. and the word for you know we've discussed this earlier as well. The sadqa is something that the Holy Prophet peace and blessings Allah be upon him, he used to give the most. Mm-hmm. You know, entire his entire life he used to give sadqa or uh, which is me, which means charity. So you, he used to give to the people who are in need, mm-hmm. and this is how. You know, you can have peace in the society that those people who are rich, you can provide for others. They should give it to the poor people. But then, you know, if you're extremely in need of 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 food, you can take it, and you are deserving to take it. Mm-hmm. But then also, the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi says and explains that um, you should also try your best to, you know, work and uh, try to. Um, uh, you know, provide for yourself as well. Mm. At one uh, occasion, the Holy Prophet said that he who begs from people when he has a sufficiency will come on the day of resurrection mm-hmm. with his begging showing itself as scrapes, scratches and lacerations mm. on his face. I mean, these are very hard words, but it, it's, it's, it's referred to someone who can work mm. but exactly. doesn't yeah. work yeah a lazy person basically. a lazy person yeah, yeah. okay, okay. So laziness mm. is very much discouraged isn't it so exactly that's, that's, as you mentioned islam promotes islam wants people to to go out there in the field mm. uh, and work isn't yeah. it if, exactly. to, to provide for the even if it's little even mm. if you get a little bit of income mm-hmm. that's still you know you still have your own honor then isn't it yeah it's, it's more honorable for you to actually go out there make an earning, even if it's a little earning, hmm. than actually going out on the street and, you know, just literally begging people yeah. as well. I mean, some people may have to rely on this just so that they can get back on their own feet. But if if that is available, if that, you know, if the situation becomes better, then they should yeah. definitely try to avoid that. avoid that. You know, to the extent that the Holy Prophet says sure, that so. if someone had just a rope, yeah. right, and an axe, for example, and yeah. they, they should go and cut firewood mm. and carry it on their back mm. and sell it. Yeah. God thereby preserving his self-respect, first of all, mm. then he should beg for people whether they give him anything or refuse him. Mm. So it's, it, you know, it is, yeah. if, if you have to give so much effort to work, then you should even do that and you shouldn't, you know, uh, be lazy and beg and, um, you know, lose your self-respect. Exactly. Um, I mean, that you know, actually draws a conclusion to the first part of our show. Join us after the news where we will go into our next topic.
You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. And welcome back to the second hour of the Drive Time Show. And the topic in discussion we have today is protest. Do they achieve anything? Zakaria, mm. do they achieve anything? <laughs> <laughs> it's a very uh, difficult question you put. <laughs> yes. Do they achieve anything? Um, well, the physical protests that people do mm. um, when they go out and, you know, <clears throat> being violent and, and breaking stuff and, yes. you know, breaking innocent people. You know, <laughs> no one has to do anything not on the streets, the cars and the, the signboards. Nothing has to do with, you know, it doesn't benefit anything but yeah there are peaceful uh marches or, or, or yes. uh, you know that you could do which does you know show the uh the importance of of the, the protest i mean people mm-hmm. when when you go and break some some stuff of people mm. it, people are just going to say that okay they're doing this because they're angry but that's it but that's right it. but there, there won't be any changes but i think there is more uh than just just protest and and and, and yes. walking and doing marches at on the roads uh, i think you could do other stuff as well for example you know you can write to your mp um you know uh write and and use the social media platform for example peacefully mm. so that you will be heard right instead yes. of just um, you know going on the streets uh, and doing silly things and and blocking the roads etc etc yes. exactly yeah. it's about educating people protest yeah. should be about educating people raising awareness ra- raising yeah. that's the correct yeah. word i was yeah. looking for raising awareness for example regarding climate change or regarding um the oil um reserves drying the oil energy crisis mm. have um have a educational protest like so people know what's happening in the world mm. just don't go and stop you know something for example there was uh, a incident uh, i do follow formula one and uh, yeah. there was a incident once a group of protesters and uh, who breached the track uh, on an opening lap uh, of the british grand prix mm. and you know they were in the course of uh, going past them mm. the, the, what they were um the awareness i i that's good that's a good thing, but the way they conducted it, that's dangerous. That's very dangerous. That's very <laughs> dangerous. That's life-threatening as well. It's life-threatening, um, that's correct. So so if you want to uh, raise awareness, do uh, go ahead and mm. raise awareness, but be peaceful. Mm. Don't put yourself in harm or and someone else in harm's way. Exactly. If you're stopping, for example, um, um, highways or roads where cars are flying by or exactly. in exactly. high speed, yeah. you're putting them in danger, you're putting yourself in danger. Yeah. When this way, uh, you're not uh, what's it called. You're not raising awareness, but you're becoming a hurdle uh, for a, a incident. People are going to become angry at you. Yes, I mean yeah. just like you mentioned, uh, as, and it's good that you mentioned. Don't you know? Don't come on the ways. Uh, don't come on the roads. Don't come on the highways. Even you know on the M25, various other roads in central London, other cities as well. People, yes. you know, these people they they came in, just blocked the road, literally just sitting on the road, and they're protesting. And mm. you know, there's a lot of traffic behind them. Imagine doing that on the motorway. How yes. I mean, yeah. they they you know those people who who were raising awareness or mm-hmm. campaigning against or doing all of these protests for climate change and all of these things as well for fuel, oil prices and everything. Mm-hmm. 
that's fine like you mentioned the 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 awareness that they raised raised the raised the awareness but they're talking about air pollution and all of this thing but mm-hmm. what about all the traffic that's there that's staying over there yes. isn't that causing more, <laughs> more pollution, pollution as well and it's just uh, you know it's sometimes it's uh, it's sometimes people do things just to just to make sure that they get um their you know their 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 story on the newspaper on social media yes. and the actual purpose that they're doing for that sometimes gets lost uh, mm-hmm. as well you know that and as as you mentioned when people do this people are just going to get frustrated at you yes. it doesn't matter what you're protesting you could mm. be protesting about the best thing you know no war no you know world war 3 let's stop that but if you're doing it in the wrong way people are going to be but forget about your message I just want to, you know, get on with my day, isn't it? You know, um, His Holiness Hazrat Khalifa Masih the Fifth once mentioned regarding climate change. You know, he said, you know, if, for example, if something's two minutes away, what we do is we zoom in in our cars and just mm. go there, just go grab there, that stuff yeah. and come back. Yeah. But he said rather instead of those two minutes, walk for ten minutes, reach there, mm. and that's first of all is exercise. Yeah. And you're you're saving the environment. Yeah. And he also said after that that a uh, a Ahmadi Muslim should plant two uh, trees a year. Yeah, and yeah. I was uh, surprised. I, I didn't know about it before my research, and <laughs> and because you know you learn so much stuff, you you forget some stuff over time, and this came again in my mind today. Like, okay, hmm. so what the gardening we do normally at home, I'll try now and uh, do my best to plant something there. Hmm. So at least I'm helping with the climate change. Oh, uh, sorry, <laughs> not <laughs> helping for the for the climate yeah. instead of you know. Um, or well, well, I'm taking a dangerous path where I'm putting myself in harm's way and someone else in the in in harm's way. Even mm. though they're both innocent, the uh, one is um, protesting for something good and one is just going ab- about for his day day in day work. And if um, God forbid anything happens, the both um, you know, both sides will ha- will face the consequences and it will stay with them for a very long time. Mm. But you know, as you mentioned before, Sajil, mm. you know, um, the main message sometimes gets um, overheard, uh, um, hidden sometimes yeah. also. Yeah. And what happens is only those things. Oh, they've done this. They've done that. That is only shown on newspapers. Yeah. Uh, and articles are just written about that. What's what is happening instead of what they're aiming for. Exactly. Exactly. I remember. Um, <laughs> I, um, I was watching a. a, a on the news and there was one country I don't want to mention the name of the country (laughs) so they were protesting right and the uh, news reporters they went to different people Mm -hmm. especially youngsters Mm. and started asking them why are you protesting for what is it for yeah okay why are you breaking stuff and all that right they're like uh, I don't know (laughs) they could literally couldn't (laughs) say that they couldn't answer and they were asking it to many youngsters (laughs) I mean this is uh yeah. This is what you know. That's what happens. Isn't what it? happens, right? So a lot of people just they they just gather, join the crowd. They yeah, join the crowd, and they'll be, um, you know, like hooligans breaking everything, but doesn't know what the purpose of it is. But then, uh, the Ahmadi Muslim community, we also do marches, and we won't call it protest, but we this is for the awareness and what we have done. Um, um, in, in different countries is we would have a massive board with a, a peaceful message mm-hmm. and we'll march for you know a few kilometers or miles right mm. and whoever is 
going to see us, right? And then you informed this earlier as well to the authorities that, you know, we'll be marching from this point to the other point. So if you could de re redirect the cars to another mm, place, so yeah. there is no rush and there is no... Um, um, uh, no problems causing because of this much, mm. and then whoever is watching and looking at the, the the crowd with the banners, they'll know that this is about this. You know, it's yes. it's about this peaceful protest, or you know, this is about this awareness, and people would actually appreciate this yes. um, protest or the peaceful protest. You can say, but you know, like you said, uh, Brother Shazil, that if you go and just suddenly stand in the highway um, and start throwing stuff and you know blocking the roads it could cause you know problems for both the drivers and the people who are on on, on the roads right Indeed. and instead of you know giving a message you're actually creating hatred between each other I mean you know there will be road rage and, and people will be starting um, horning as well um, because of, exactly. of people of, just going to get angry yeah, they exactly. don't going to focus on the the actual protest mm. they're just going to be angry the way that you're doing the protest is, is you know it's causing them harm as well it's causing yes. them delays and people are gonna, they're going to get frustrated yeah. Yeah. Sajid and Zakaria you know when uh, there are sometimes uh, protests happen and yeah. then over time they turn into you know a civil type war mm. and it started off as a peaceful uh, protest but over time it escalated mm. and you know we had many examples of it even in in the united states and even in the uk um, when, when uh, unfortunately one someone was shot in 2011 i believe I and mean, when the london riots happened mm. you know you're mm. looting our own homes our own shops we yeah. were uh, what's it called we were destroying our own economy mm. instead of uh, um, what the actual uh, message was that was over, over, um, overlooked yeah. and people just went for, for them own selves. You know, there's a, a um, saying of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. You know, he says, like for your brother what you like for yourself. Mm, so, exactly. you know, I wouldn't like anyone um, to loot my shop or my home and I would uh, 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 um, what's it called? have the same thing for my brother and I, I, won't, I, don't mind, I don't like anyone going to his house looting his, his house or his shop so you know at that time we destroyed our own economy at the same time yeah. and there, were, there was called a very domino effect also after yeah. that you know people were, um, were caught people were arrested and they have criminal records now unfortunately yeah I mean yeah definitely is it, yes. it, is, it is unfortunate as well Let's uh, let's speak to our guest who's on the line with us, James Osden, who's currently doing social uh, social movement and uh, protest-related research at a Social Change Lab and EA-aligned research organisation. He has currently started as well. Uh, peace be upon you. Good afternoon and welcome to the show, James. Hi, everyone. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks. Uh, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Have you been interested in and uh, working on social movement theory for some years now? Tell us, uh, tell us exactly what social movement theory is. Yeah. So basically, it's just the kind of quest or question to understand how a social movement that is large groups of people who are pursuing some shared goal, like how that interacts with the world. So, what impact does it have on politics, on the public, on media? And also, how do you mobilize these people? How do you get them engaged? And how does it actually go from mass of people to actually leading to policy change or whatever you're trying to achieve? Mm. Um, also, you, you've uh, in, in an article you published, you mentioned that non-violent protests is an effective tool to influence public uh, the public opinion. 
and to get your message across and uh, policy around a certain issue, raise awareness as well. Now, to tell us why, why it's more important. Tell us why a non-violent protest is more effective than just going out there, you know, breaking things, being violent and causing havoc uh, on the street. Yeah, well, I think with the similar reason to what you alluded to just before, but I think one of the main reasons is that non-violent protests tend to be bigger in size, and the main reason for that is you're just more likely to get people who want to actually engage with them. Uh, generally, protests are effective when they're very big, very big, but also very diverse. So, but you don't usually get like families, kids, elderly who want to get involved in like violent protests and riots. A, that's risky to them. That's not something they feel like kind of empowered to do. So, in terms of the size of the protest, kind of being nonviolent is one of the best ways to kind of be as inclusive and as large as possible. And also, there's there's like studies that show that when protesters appear more worthy, so that's like they're more nonviolent, a more kind of deserving of empathy or respect to have a respectful message, mm. they're more likely to get both politicians and the public on their side. So I think for a variety of reasons, nonviolent protests does kind of on average tend to work better than violent ones. Although, yeah, it's like there's obviously examples of violent protests working in some cases, but on the whole, it seems like nonviolence definitely is the, is the winning strategy. Mm-hmm. And also, it's uh, you, you also mentioned that nonviolent protests is more cost-effective. Uh, what other benefits, uh, you know, might uh, my, my, uh, nonviolent protests bring? Yeah, well, I, I think, um, and that's like so cost-effective relative to like other ways of uh, achieving change, for example, like lobbying or normal charities. But I think other benefits might be might be like good for democracy. I think I'm a president, a big believer in that kind of the public or like civil society getting engaged in decision making and not letting everything be decided by like the few elected or even like non elected kind of like leaders of countries. Like that doesn't seem like a good way to run a country or run a world. So I think in terms of getting large numbers of people in, engaged in politics and decision making society seems really good on that front. And I think that's probably one of the main reasons why besides all the outcomes it can bring in terms of whether it's like increasing civil rights or better for um, kind of women's rights and marriage equality, there's always kind of pro-democracy and civic engagement, I think, benefits that also come with it. Mm-hmm. Um, do all social change movements succeed? Um, what are the consequences if such movements are only a jump on the bandwagon exercise? Uh, are there any risk of uh, them going wrong in case they are not carrying, uh, carried out clinically and uh, appropriately? Yeah, that's a good question. I think they definitely don't all succeed, otherwise the world would be changing kind of basically all the time. Because at, at any one time, there's probably thousands and millions of people trying to change the world in a given uh, given direction. So I think definitely, I think if anything, like most don't succeed, but the ones that do kind of tend to have like big transformational impacts on society, because generally they succeed because they're very large, people who like feel particularly strong about an issue. So it's like in the 1960s in the US, uh, black people were like feeling particularly um, kind of aggravated at like levels of like both like systemic and kind of overt racism and that kind of made that change. So I, I think when it does happen, it tends to come in like a big swooping transition. But also there's a way that, like, like my colleague kind of alluded to, like things could go wrong. So one such example is maybe if you use tactics like like rioting, particularly violent tactics, you might actually invite more repression on a movement. That means, like we're seeing in the UK right now, actually, so there's more stringent um, fines and sentencing for nonviolent activists. Actually, recently, some nonviolent crime activists were sentenced to six months in prison in the UK and also eight months in prison in Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these are people who were 
uh, some blocking roads, so they were being disrupted but non-violent. And there's, a, there's like an escalation in repression that we've kind of seen, and this might be one of the consequences of like increasing uh, tactics. But also, but I think, but generally, things don't have negative outcomes. More like they just won't change much at all. Because I think hmm. there's like lots of protests, lots of activity, but most likely nothing will happen. But in some cases, you might get these big, um, hopefully positive transformational things. Hmm. And and. Um... There was also a protest by the Trump supporters in White House uh, a few years ago. Can they not argue that they were doing it legitimately for the social change? Um, so who decides uh, what are the legitimate uh, causes for which protests are warranted? Um, couldn't this be dangerous business uh, if anyone um, had the freedom to draw crowds and, and, and protests? Yeah, I think that's a really good question because yeah, like you said, the question of who decides what are like legitimate causes that deserve kind of movements behind them or not. I think there's like obviously no no objective list, and you can never kind of have one because hmm. it's all down to what everyone thinks objectively according to their values, like what is good and bad. So I think people have to decide for themselves. But I think what happens most of the time is, I think hopefully uh, humans uh, have a tendency towards like more empathy and compassion for um, both the humans, also the beings hmm. and the planet. So you you kind of hope that like the the like the masses kind of win out in that if humanity favors like granting rights to more people and being more compassionate and empathetic and and things like that um, those kind of issues get larger and larger and the other issues kind of don't get as much traction. But kind of to, to your last point, I think everyone should be free to at least have like the freedom to attempt. Um, well, it, it's tricky. Yeah, it's like. Maybe some things shouldn't even have the um, freedom to like try to get them off the ground, but we, we live in a side where free speech and democracy is fairly fundamental. So I think it's kind of like a collection of, of the pitches. So the, the most kind of worthy causes, I think, generally tend to do well. So I think that's something that it's kind of been doing reasonably well and hopefully will continue in the future as well. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you very much, um, James, uh, for being with us and answering our questions. It was a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you very much. Likewise. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you. So this was um, James Osden um, currently doing social movement and protest related research at Social Change Lab. Um, yeah, it was a very interesting uh, um, discussion we had uh, with, with James indeed. indeed. You know, but uh, I think I wanted to ask um, you two also and our listeners, hmm. you know, the, as we all know, the FIFA World Cup is happening right now. Morocco and Spain are playing, which is 0-0 hmm. for all the listeners <laughs> who are unable to watch it right now. <laughs> so just to put it in there. But, you know, there has been some things flying around uh, around this um, um, our topic for example the alcohol ban hmm. and fans were uh, you know angry about it and they're like why was this ban happening even though um, when when fifa um when it, when this happened hmm. um the raffle and qatar came out and everyone knew it's a muslim country hmm. and and they don't um, support alcohol as such hmm. And, uh, you know, and even on the other hand, you have Muslim, sorry, women who are saying, you know, because of this, they were able to enjoy football without mm. any hassle. Without any hassle, without any harassment. And well. without any harassment. So, um, you know, all these things, um, and even uh, the Prophet has said regarding the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and he said, modesty does not bring anything but goodness. Mm. You know, all these yeah. things. You have, you know, you have two sides of top where people are one side who's trying to smuggle in, you know, alcohol in the stadium just for what, just for a two-minute pleasure. 
Mm. Or the, Literally. That's it. And then um, afterwards, what happens on the knock-on effect with it? That that the, the severe, severe effects which have afterwards on the consequences they have to face. You know, because they're not in in their right senses and what they do after that, they don't even remember sometimes yeah. even after, you know, oh, they have done this or they did that. Literally, literally. So, I think, you know, it's sometimes when, you know, specifically talking about the FIFA World Cup, which yes. is happening, a lot of the Western media has spoken negatively about, about Qatar. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's nothing which is hidden. That's, you know, yes. that's how it is. But if you look at the fans who are over there, yes, they're saying, even the British fans, all the fans, most of them, they're saying that, you know, there's no problems over here. They're enjoying it. Yes. Yeah, yeah fine. There's, there's, no, there's no alcohol in the stadiums. But, you know, after, after the games, how much, you know, they, they're providing for them. The yeah. locals are coming out, they're giving them, you know, tea, they're giving them dates, dates and other food. Yes. Homemade food as well. I mean, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing. I mean, yeah. they're saying that the vibe over there is really, is really nice. It's mm. really great. Mm. Yes. The hospitality is really, is really great as well. Mm. But it's, but you know obviously that that doesn't come on that doesn't come on the mainstream media. Yeah. Yes. The media they just want to point out things which are apparently negative and they just want to cherry pick everything as well. They they compare this 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 um, uh, FIFA World Cup with the previous ones, right? Yeah. And uh, I I don't remember which person it was. It was one of the chairmen, and it was saying that I've been in you know most of the World Cups hmm. and. Till this day, this has been the best. Has been the best one. ever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this means that you can live without alcohol. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you you're there for a few, you know, few weeks, and you do you can live with without alcohol. You can live peacefully without you know mm. <laughs> being yeah. uh, yes. without getting drunk and all these things. Plus, they, you know, they uh, people had so much time beforehand. Mm. It, it, this city wasn't built overnight, right? Mm. It took a couple of years for those stadiums to be built mm. they had so much time and if they wanted to you know speak about it because we've spoken about it earlier also even, Literally. If, even Literally. the world cup which have happened before even the russian world cup which has happened yeah, yeah. you know they knew their you know there's the tensions going around with it and ukraine similarly you know the winter world cups which have happened earlier this year in china and you know, and all that, uh, what's happening in China and um, China and Muslims, especially yeah. Chinese Muslims. Yeah, the Uyghur Muslims. What, and yeah, yes. Yeah. What's happening with them? And you know, um, no one spoke about them. Exactly. But suddenly, you know, well, suddenly uh, there is a uprise. Okay, yeah. a Qatar. David, why they're banning this? Why they're doing this? Mm. Why they're doing this? Exactly. Even though this been has it, been there for for the past fourteen years, yeah. uh, alcohol has been banned beforehand. Yeah. So. Why, why, is, why wasn't? Why, why didn't can't, they do this before? Yes. As well? and you know, we, and, and sometimes we should also respect the cultures. Yeah, also, we should, yeah, and try. You know, if someone doesn't allow something, we should try and adapt around it. You know, and for example, you know, if, if, um, what's it called? Um, oh, I've just, just forgot what else I was going to say. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's, it is right. It is right what you're saying as well. We're talking about the workers' rights and all of these things, but you know, the, you know, the same thing can happen to any other place. I so said you mentioned. The World Cup last time it happened in in, in Russia, you know, Indeed. the the Olympics, you know, that's a wide scale sporting event. Yes. Hmm. I mean, what what the one that happened in in China yes. here in London mm-hmm. as well in twenty twelve. Yeah. The next World Cup is going to happen in in America. Mm-hmm. And what about their laws? You know, their their yes. gun laws, abortion laws, all of these things. Yeah. 
What about that? You know, no one so, has anything to say about that. So, uh, for example, if you're, you know, if, if you're playing the morals police, uh, then so we can't hold uh, any of, we can't hold the uh, football and uh, football World Cup anywhere. We can't hold yeah. the Winter Olympics anywhere or the Summer Olympics. We can't yeah. hold them anywhere in any country then. Yeah. So exactly. what does leave this just stay in your own country, wherever you are, in which country you are right now, mm-hmm. and stay there and just do nothing mm-hmm. and just stay quiet. Exactly, but that's that's how it is. If you want to blame someone, then what, what, why is it not fair then? Blame everyone yes. who's doing the same thing, isn't yes. it? Yes. Don't just cherry pick one. Don't just pick one team or one country or one nation and say that they are the bad ones and everyone yes. else is the good ones. Yeah, even you know, the opening ceremony of the World Cup, yeah. which wasn't broadcast. I was waiting for the, for its yeah. start and it didn't start. I was like, okay, okay, okay. And then suddenly the, the, the players were coming on. Mm. It's like, wow, what yeah. happened? Then, and then afterwards I went online and just saw clips of it afterwards. Yeah. Because I, I thought uh, that was a, uh, they haven't started yet mm. because it, the time was, I think, 3 o'clock that day. And maybe, maybe, yeah. Maybe that two thirty, three o'clock, and they, I, I, I didn't see any opening ceremonies. Even though we have seen many opening ceremonies before for the Olympics, for FIFA World Cup beforehand, also. Yeah. But this time, I was surprised that they didn't show. I mean, that, that that's the thing, isn't it? That's the thing. When what, it goes back to the topic that we that we're actually speaking about, yes. which is about protests. And if people want to protest, <coughs> then. Then it should be it should be fair as well, isn't it? Yes. It shouldn't just be one-sided protests. You can't you can't just you can't just uh, do that as well because if you're raising awareness for one thing, then you have to you have to be fair. You have to be you have to raise awareness for everything else. Yes. For the same thing. Yeah. If you, I mean, if, yeah. People protest. No one is protesting for Palestinians. No one is protesting exactly. for the Uyghur Muslims. No one yeah. is protesting for the um, uh, persecuted uh, people from uh, Myanmar. <laughs> Uh, Burma, Burma right? yeah. So no one is protesting for these people, and then you're All just of protesting a because <laughs> because you can't drink alcohol, <laughs> you can't uh, you know express your feelings uh, publicly. I mean, why can't you just respect the the feelings of the the the, the country where you're going to? I mean, this is we as as Europeans as well. When you when you come to Europe or England, I mean we. Are also, uh, you know, we we uh, deserve the respect as well, right? Exactly. So, and whoever comes from a different country, they uh, make sure that they don't do the same things what mm. they do and the norms of that country. But then another interesting point uh, to discuss is the uh, an article which was published in the Times title. Mm. Um, the, the title is "Alcohol ban helps female fans enjoy hassle-free football in Qatar." Yeah. So, you know, a country where, let's say, uh, you know, th- there is a lot of things, a lot of protests happening, but female or, or women are feeling so uh, free at that mm. country and, and, and protected as well because of uh, the laws that they have over there. Another article on Doha News title, uh, the title is Female World Cup Fans Feel Safer thanks to Qatar's alcohol ban. Mm. So another yeah. thing, you see that what alcohol can co- can cause. And I'm pretty sure that the women who are there and have experienced other places of gatherings, yeah. you know, they'll probably wish that all the gatherings, wherever people go, there was no alcohol. There was no alcohol for people, right? You know, the, you know, it's important to actually know as well, many people might not know this, mm. but it's interesting that England banned the use of alcohol consumption in stadiums in all football grounds in 1985. Hmm. 
So, wow. you know, that's just what, 40 years ago, roughly 40 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and the reason for this was to curb hooliganism. So, mm. you know, hooligans, hooligans, they used to come round and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, they used to come round and uh, headhunters and all of these things as well. Mm. It's not, therefore, you know, it's, it's not right. It's not right to say that Islam is oppressive for forbidding, you know, alcohol use, um, given that this country itself has acknowledged that drinking alcohol makes one act like a hooligan. Yeah. Exactly. So how can they say how can they say this, isn't it? It's not it's not right. It's it's it's, it's like it's like purge, isn't it? Imagine <laughs> I'm just <laughs> saying, right? Imagine uh you allow purge at one country, right? Or you allow every single person to drink alcohol, right? Yeah. I mean, they are not in their senses. They will do whatever they can and you can even kill exactly. people. Exactly. And there are instances where, where people kill each other because they're drunk. They don't they're not in their senses, right? Um and and this is this this is why Islam not just gives you an option, doesn't give you an option that you know you should not drink too much or you shouldn't drink, uh, uh, you should drink a little bit. But it tells you that it's fully prohibited mm. to have this drink because it has more harm than you think. Exactly. And it 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 kills the society, it kills you know families, and and. Um, you know, like like uh, the British people say, right? It makes you like hooligan. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So you, you know, know but yeah. you know, um, at the same time, we're talking about um, football and stuff. But the football, you know, one thing, what 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 is great about it is, you know, it brings nations together also at the same time. There are some obviously some aspects about the protest. If you just keep that, even it's a topic today, but you know, football overall is bringing nations together, and you know, and there's so much love going around uh, in Qatar right now between um, nations. You know, there might be um, some tensions in the political sense, but as you know, commoners. And there's some love also going around. I don't know, the respect is going mm. around there. You, 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 I'm not hearing this, uh, um, some news around uh, because this nation is playing this nation and there's some fights uh, happening because of the tensions they're yeah. having at home with, with that nation. But, you know, there's some, there's brotherly love there and and respect also there. So that's also you know, commendable things about football and uh, overall it's very, it brings people together. But, you know, if we look about, there's some... Um, Minus points, we, we, which we have, for example, alcohol, um, and if we ban that, there's no, it's, it's, it's becoming a plus point there right now. And you don't have people destroying properties. You know, that's one thing. You know, after after they win, they win the match, and they people just throw up, the, um, throw the cups up, and whatever's inside it, yeah. it spills on, it spills on, the, on the, yeah. all over the ground, all over the chairs. Other people as well, and other people as yeah. well. <laughs> And you know, if, and for example, if someone is a Muslim there, let's, that's gonna, that's, it, not nice. that's, that's not right because that's against his beliefs. Exactly. You know, and respecting them over there, and you know, I commend Japan especially. Yeah. You know, after yeah. the oh, opening, yeah. even opening matches, uh, the openings um, match, and even after their own match, they went out and they went and cl cl uh, cleaned the stadiums. You know, there's it's all there's mm. some good things also going around. The, the funny thing is, this is something which has been taught from a very young age with the um, with Japanese people, Japanese right? Generation. So in, yeah. in their schools, what that happens is, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, if you remember, that, you know, 10 minutes before their class start, they clean everything. Mm. So there are no cleaners at, in, in the, the, their schools. Mm -hmm. So everything that is cleaned in their schools, 
the, the kids and the, the students do it. Yeah. And I think after the class, you know, have, in a school has finished, they do the same thing, mm. right? This is something which was instilled from very young age. Very young yes. age. So it's not something new for them. It's, it's it? not yeah. something new for them. But then we learn from other nations as well, That's from correct. other uh, cultures that, look, these are like exemplary people. Mm. And I remember His Holiness said that they're 90% Muslim. Because they're literally because of their deeds, because, <laughs> because of the good of things deeds. that they do. Yeah, wow. the, the humbleness. You know, they're mm. extremely humble. Uh, they're very truthful. The cleanliness is, you know, they put cleanliness above everything. And mm. what Islam says that as well. That cleanliness is half of your faith. Half of your faith. Half of your faith. You know, if you're not clean from outside, if you don't clean your atmosphere or whatever you've, uh, you know, messed up with, right? Yeah. 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 You, then. How can you be clean from inside, right? How can you be pure from inside? Yes. So, uh, the, yeah, like you said, um, you know, football is brings people together, nations together, and we learn from each other. We'll that's yes. good. That's good. But it's, it's, that always, it's always happening yeah. because you know there's some uh, bands which were implemented. You don't you you, you don't have anyone not walking uh, walking the streets, and uh, without the senses, everyone is there and uh, is enjoying uh, is enjoying football. What they came for. Enjoying the match, the players, how they're playing, and you know, predicting the matches while they're there, you know, and so much energy going around. You don't need, we don't need extra things, you know, to help us out, where we lose our senses. Hmm. You have, we should enjoy the match with our senses. You know, hmm. you see what's happening. You you remember when you come back um, after your visit there, and you still remember what was happening. You you haven't blacked out for any reason. <laughs> you enjoy uh, the views, the weather. And you know, right the atmosphere, you atmosphere. Know, the hospitality, and yes. all these good things as well. All mm. good things, and then you come back and you remember those things and you talk about them. Yeah. Although, you know, there was so much uh, backlash against um, uh, Qatar and so many rights are happening yes. against them, but you know, if someone is pure and the country is showing their love to the you know the, the people who are coming to the country. You know, you, it doesn't matter whoever does the protest. The the people who are there, you know, experiencing the football at the moment, mm. you know, they are evidence themselves that, you know, whatever you have been doing against Qatar and their rules, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't matter. They're, the, the, the way they have, you know, received us is, you know, showed what true Islam really is. And that's mm. what they you know, try to bring out that, you know, this is the true hospitality, <coughs> right? Uh, not allowing alcohol, not allowing any fights. And this is what truly yes. uh, Islam is. Yeah. Zakri, we have our second guest on hold. And it's Brother Khalil Yusuf. And he is a lawyer and will will be giving us a perspective of, on pro, uh, regarding protest and what Islam says about it. With this short introduction, I would like to welcome Brother Khalil Yusuf. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Waalaikumsalam. How are you? Alhamdulillah, I'm very good, Zakla, for asking. So, uh, Brother Khalil, I wanted to ask, should Muslims take part in protests against a government or people by taking uh, or by taking the streets over? Uh, no, actually, they shouldn't. And the reason why I say that they shouldn't do that is because you know, Islam requires us to be loyal to the nation that we occupy that doesn't mean that we participate in injustice, but mm -hmm. what it does mean is that we ensure that whatever steps that we take are for the benefit of the country as a whole. And so when you protest in a way where you block streets or where you stop people from going about 
their employment, stopping children getting to school, stopping emergency services from operating uh, to try and save people's lives, then that has a negative effect on innocent people, on those people who don't have the ability to change policy, mm -hmm. but are purely victims of protest. And so uh, that sort of protest that harms the nation, that harms innocent members of the public is not something that is sanctioned in Islam. That's not to say that if you feel, if a Muslim feels that there is injustice, that they should not speak up. Of course they should. Mm -hmm. But the way that they do that is through a democratic and fair process engaging uh, in a constructive way with those who make policy and try to influence that policy so that whatever injustice is being done is then brought to an end. Exactly. Now, uh, could you discuss uh, with us whether Islam condones strike action during the cost of living crisis when a large portion of working force has had a pay cut in, in, in real terms? Look, I mean, you have to look at what the, what the impact of that is. If, if people have been hard done by because of the cost of living crisis or if their pay has been cut and they feel that they're not able to make ends meet, then of course they should raise their voices, but they should do that in a way that is constructive and in a way that doesn't harm those people that are innocent. If, for example, you are in a role which requires you to save lives, for example, and you take a break from saving those lives in order to try and protest about your pay, well, those who are relying on you, whose lives depend on you, are going to be hard done by, they're going to suffer. And their suffering is not going to bring your problems to an end. All that's going to happen is that somebody who is innocent is being made to unnecessarily and unfairly suffer. Hmm. So the manner in which you protest is important because one uh, injustice isn't cancelled out by another injustice. It's important for Muslims to act with justice and not to cause any harm to anybody who isn't. So when uh, there is a cost of living crisis and when people feel that they are not being fairly paid, then they should raise their voices with the authorities that they should do so directly and in a constructive way. Look, you know, Islam is that religion which in which there is a hadith that says that the worker should be paid before the sweat drives off his back. You know, that is the obligation in Islam that all workers are paid fairly and that they are paid properly. So there's no objection for people to protest if they are not being paid properly, but they should do that in the right way. Now, when the FIFA the FIFA World Cup is uh, is you know is happening at the moment as well, how do you view the method of uh, protests which the, you know the the England team and some other football teams have done during this uh, during this World Cup? Look, I mean, I think uh, when FIFA awarded the World Cup to Qatar, uh, you know, they knew that it was a Muslim country and that it had some values where their culture was slightly different and it was still yeah. their choice. Yeah. And the West knew that they were signing up to awarding it to a Muslim country. And so you know, if they feel that the World Cup should just be the preserve of the West alone, then that is entirely something else. But if they felt that Qatar did not have the values and the culture which was in line with uh, the World Cup, and they shouldn't have awarded it to Qatar in the first place. But the truth is that the World Cup 
is a sport and it is for everybody to participate in. Mm -hmm. And it is not designed to be political. It is about sport. It's about athletes. And I think it's important that we accept that there are people in different countries with different beliefs and different cultures and that it is not reasonable for local people to suddenly be expected to live by ideals which are imposed by another country or another culture. I think it's important that we respect people's uh, differences um, and that respect should be on all sides. So I think you know, the Qatari authorities should have uh, respect for the Western cultures and Western cultures should also have respect for Qatari culture and they should find a balance in which nobody is needlessly or unnecessarily offended or, uh, or brought to any harm. Exactly, exactly. I mean, that's exactly what I wanted to, to hear as well. Um, when there's other protests going on, what's your, what's your take on, on, on the protests by, you know, the climate change awareness supporters, other protests which, 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 which happen as well? Look, you know, man-made climate change is an issue. It's something that we do have to address. We have to try and use the resources of our planet uh, responsibly. I mean, after all, this is a gift of Allah and we have a responsibility to take care of it. But it goes back to my earlier point, which is that you know, if you are climbing bridges or if you are uh, and stopping traffic, if you are destroying artwork, if you're preventing ambulances from reaching those people who are sick, mm. then what you're doing is you are creating harm and you're not really addressing the issue. The, the person who is waiting for an ambulance is in no way able to influence whether a new oil and gas license issued and neither is a person who's trying to drive across a bridge to visit his mother or his family you know, and neither is the uh, painter of artwork who had painted some artwork you know, 200 years ago and had it on display mm. in a gallery. I mean none of those people have any influence over whether new oil and gas licenses should be issued. The, the person who has an influence over that is the energy minister and we live in a democracy and in a democracy, we engage in a democratic process. If there are significant concerns about climate change and they feel that the political parties are not engaging constructively, well, there's sufficient support, then we live in a country in which there is so much freedom that you can start your own political party, that you can campaign in politics yourself, that you can win votes, and that you can have the opportunity to be able to change policy and influence legislation. But that's a democratic process and everybody has to fight for that right. And they have to be, when I say fight, I mean peacefully campaign for that right. Mm -hmm. uh, and they have to earn that right through the public voting for them. You, you, the public are the innocent parties. And by uh, harming the innocent, those people who actually should be voting for you, I think that that is a counterproductive way of uh, getting one's point of view across and is not likely to be successful. You know, um, I wanted to ask one thing before we, I let you go regarding, you know, um, for peaceful protests, um, for example, if um, um, the law has put a barrier around the area and, and put diversion around and the economy is not being affected, can a Muslim partake in that uh, uh, um, protest? Look, I mean, if you have a, a lawful protest yes. that has been properly sanctioned in which you are not causing harm to others, uh, 
then I don't think that there is any harm in a, in a Muslim participating in a peaceful protest. But the idea that you just go out into the street mm-hmm. and then start to uh, disrupt traffic and disrupt the public and disrupt people from going about their work or their business who, who are not, um, you know, who have no, no role in the issue that mm-hmm. you are complaining about, that, that is not something that is acceptable. But, you know, I mean, if, for example, you, you, you are, are all given a place in the middle of Trafalgar Square in order for you to uh, speak your mind, or if you want mm-hmm. to go to Speaker's Corner, you know, where uh, nobody is going to be uh, harmed, then, of course, you can do that. And participating mm-hmm. in that type of sanctioned, uh, protest in which you are not harming anybody that's innocent. I mean, there is nothing in principle that is wrong with that. Zakla Brother Khalil, for enlightening our listeners with your wisdom, and Zakla for joining us today on our show. Zakla, thank you for your time. Zakla, salam alaikum. So, this was Brother Khalil Yusuf, who is a lawyer and he has given us some insight um, how we can protest and how and what's happening around the world regarding protest itself, Zakaria. Hmm. You know, um, when the, the question, you know, why, um, I, why I asked him this, the last question, can a Muslim partake uh, hmm. in protest? So I wanted to get across, you know, you can, but it has to be, you know, sanctioned uh, by the government. Yeah. So you're not disrupting the economy. And, you know, uh, His Holiness, Hazrat Khalifa Masih, hmm. the fifth, has also said regarding this, you know, um, um, he said, you shouldn't um, shouldn't be hurting a nation mm. while you're doing something. Yeah. So you know, respecting you know, if you hold, I'm holding everyone, and you know, you you're looting shops, you're destroying property, or you're just stopping the flow of the traffic, mm. right? You're stop uh, stopping for um, emergency vehicles to go through. You're you're stopping, what's it called? Some um, the flow of the economy. For example, let's say from a warehouse to a shop which stuff had to go at five o'clock in the morning, they are unable to reach there uh, at that exact time, but they're reaching there like 10, 12 o'clock after five, six hours. And that's just distur- disturbing the flow and the need um, of the uh, um, the public, general public. Mm. Mm. So, you know, a protest, if you want to, if, if someone wants to do them, it has to be done in a, um, a legitimate way and, you know, with the sanction of the government and with the help of the government so they can redirect everyone who, around it. Hmm. So when, when he mentioned Trafalgar Square, Khalil, hmm. brother Khalil, you know, uh, they, if they couldn't off that area, they, the emergency do know, okay, this is happening on that day. Even you know when the strikes happen off uh, on the national rail yeah. or the underground, even that's, that's, that's the same. It's the same pro- protest, but people do know beforehand. Yeah. They, for example, today is the sixth, right? Or on the seventh, there is a, pro- um, a, a strike going on. Mm-hmm. So they they work around it instead, rather hmm. than finding out on that day. Oh. The, oh, the trains are not working. The undergrounds are not working. What yeah. can we do now? And you have a jump. Uh, you have people who are going to work, and you have just uh, the uh, overflow of crowd in mm. that area station. So, so to crowd manage, especially you know, for the safety of um, the life of the human beings. So mm. that's a really important thing which needs to be considered. Yeah, yeah. No, um, uh, it's it, it's it's sad to to know that this when we're talking about protest. Um, against Qatar, right? You know, uh, the, the, there's so many nations that, you know, we've discussed this earlier as well. Yes. So many nations, they have uh, had their um, World Cup, but no one spoke against it. There's, there's some sort of, you know, double standards, you know, when it comes to Islamic country. 
and and uh, their values no one cares about that but you know the other nations you know when they had their um you know world cup like you said i think this is the first world cup where they didn't cover um you know had a complete coverage of the opening session right mm-hmm. and you know, neither bbc or the itv aired the qatar's opening ceremony and additionally they weren't subject to the boycott of the same kind of reprisals that qatar did now why why is it only qatar and um, you know is it you know uh, the fact that they are the only muslim nation that is hosting um the first you know yeah, i think it's the first muslim nation who's hosting the um uh, the football uh, world cup it is very difficult to you know see in other ways as the religion of islam and its beliefs seem to be the only thing you know differentiating them from other countries mm-hmm. i mean it's only the small thing right uh, the religion but you know there are other religions other nations as well with their religion and their faiths but no one spoke against them right yes, you know about, you, about, as brother khalil has mentioned you should keep sports as as, as sports do not mix um, um politics into politics it. into it so religion if, into if, it yeah. yes if 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 everyone knows them the match uh, matches are going mm. going to be held in a muslim country yeah. we should respect their beliefs and exactly. we should understand what their beliefs are and not implement someone else's beliefs on them hmm. you know for example you know, england is a diverse country yep you know the um, our prime minister is is uh, from an asian background uh, you, our mayor of london is also from you you have diversity here you know and everyone respects everyone hmm. you understand so and with that you know um we are also tolerant for um some laws they have here Hmm. as as muslims we do tolerate uh, some of the laws here also yeah. so you know we, we should be res- uh, 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 respecting our laws of, of your country hmm. and the country you're going to we should be re- um, respectful for hmm. to those also and hmm. you know um you know um, in his uh, regarding your protest you know we, uh, you mentioned earlier you know we should be writing uh, letters to newspapers to tv channels you know and educating them um, regarding what's happening you know and and also you know a muslim students uh, should be writing essays to educate the general public the yep. professors and the fellow fellow student beings also you know because they are the future tv anchors they are the future um editors you know and <coughs> news writers yeah so and regarding the the, the um the um fifth caliph um has said regarding this you know we should always uh, we should not forget the rules of speech that the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah uh, be upon him uh, has taught us so yeah. we should should be teaching what we have learned through the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam yeah. and you know and telling them okay this is the actual education mm. um for, um, for from our beliefs mm. and educating them and hopefully they be implementing it throughout their own um life also and mm. teaching it to their fellow students mm. or fellow uh, colleagues and we won't be needing these kind of protests hmm. as such if if you're educating everyone on yeah. we won't be overshadowing anything also exactly by doing uh, protests which are harmful sometimes mm-hmm. um the destruction of property happens hmm. and the uh, destruction of life and um in general happens hmm. so you know we should be uh, doing protest uh, if someone is doing it should be in a peaceful way hmm. and it should be you know in a way that it's it's the 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 daily life of the general public is disrupted hmm. 
and that's how you will get you mess across also yeah. Be because people will know oh you're doing this instead of uh, in uh, school angering them and saying why is he doing this yeah. uh, i'm hey, i just want to go to my day-to-day -day work mm. and why is he just blocking off everything of, of what i uh, i wanted to do for today what my plan was for today and it's dropping my daily life and he they won't be listening to them then yeah but they will be uh, thinking about other ways to go around them and you know which can incite um hatred sometimes and, and which can incite violence also mm -hmm. which is you know, very dangerous where in in a peaceful protest you have everyone who who wants to do the day-to-day -day thing but you have the awareness going around yeah. so if someone's passing you they will know that something is happening mm. and you can to do it through social media through news you can do it through um um what's it called various different platforms also hmm. so if you're doing a protest let's say uh, in london city london city right mm -hmm. and you have news people there and you have social media and um to help you out and they will be educating people yeah. who are using the phones um who are watching the news and people will know oh there's something happening why is happening they will start researching regarding instead of oh this is happening the x amount of um, money we have lost because of the um, economy being stopped for some reason hmm. and even when uh, the uh, unfortunate riots happened in in london in 2011 hmm. and uh, it, it it disrupted uh, the day-to-day -day life and people were being attacked also you know and there was some violence going around also hmm. but that's not the way in my opinion to hmm. do protests yeah but, i mean uh you know the bbc as well um <laughs> you said you know the, the um, opening session uh, both bbc and itv they didn't air it but mm -hmm. you know they also say that uh the uh, their their motto is peace for each country uh, all the nations should should be there right similarly they have you know similar type of you know motto for itv as well but you know when it with uh, why did not they not uh, you know fulfill their motto for for Qatar right mm -hmm. and then they had another issue where you know it came with the LGBT community as well I mean you have to understand that Muslim countries according uh, like Qatar and other countries as well they you know like other like Christianity as well like majority of the um, uh, godly religions right they they are not in favor of that right so some countries they you know respect their religion but that doesn't mean that you know anyone could go and, and express their feelings in their own country in, in in another different country so we have to be you know like like it said uh, in the Ahmadi Muslim community our love uh, our community our motto is love for all hatred for none right mm -hmm. so if, when you love everyone and you don't have any hatred then you also respect every single person wherever you go. So when you go to Qatar, right, and, 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 and this whole football thing is hosted there, then you should respect their values as well. I mean, you can do it. If you, if you don't agree with them, mm -hmm. okay, then there is no need to, for you to go there, right? And, and, and instead of, you know, uh, writing and boycotting, right, you can just, you know, not go yourself. But, you know, saying that, oh, they have different beliefs, although all the religions, they have similar beliefs, right? So you have to understand this point as well. Yes. 
You know, one thing which, which the Holy Quran says, La ikraha fi deen, that there's, no, fi deen. there's, there's no, no compulsion, compulion, in, religion. In, religion, yeah. so we, you know, if that, uh, such a beautiful verse of the Holy Quran, which is saying, okay, you can't force anyone, yeah, to, uh, in someone's religion, so we should be kind of respectful, and you know, if you want to do protest, it, it has to be in, in a peaceful way without disrupting uh, the day-to-day -day life and yeah. without disrupting the economy of of the country, and you know, with this, I. I wanted to um, end our show and leave a um, thing for our um, listeners. And, and with this also, I want to thank our producers. Khansa Razak and Aiza Mahmoud. Exactly. And here is the 6 o'clock news.